Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello and welcome to the Road World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short and I'm joined here by my co-host Drew Silva as we go over some late hot stove headlines. I guess we're in the latter stages at this point, fair to say. This will actually be our last hot stove type of episode before we start moving into season preview content. Yes, it'll be here before we know it. Uh, those episodes will start next week. I'll welcome Christopher Crawford here to talk prospects and names to keep an eye on going into 2020. Drew, how's it going, man? I, another busy week. I know the sign-stealing stuff has sort of died down a little bit, but that was quickly replaced by Hall of Fame talk and everything that comes with that. Yeah, I mean, Derek Jeter and, and Larry Walker both getting into the Hall. Uh, I think a lot of people thought it would only be Jeter, but uh, Larry Walker made it in there by by a margin of six votes. Um, just first on, on Jeter, if we want to talk about these guys for a bit, cause sure. yeah, I mean, my cynical instinct with, with Jeter, uh, I was thinking about this a lot on Tuesday when he got inducted is because he's so beloved by national and, and New York based media folks. It's, it's, I kind of had this instinct to like downplay him or even somewhat crap on him. You know, his defense at shortstop was never as good as people, who ignore defensive metrics would, would tell you it was. Everyone thinks top. of the jump throws and the diving into the <laughs> seats and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, yeah, the jump throw is not really a good play. And the, it, the, it, the thing at uh, home plate with the, against the A's, like the flip throw to get Giambi. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he should have been there, which, you know, maybe speaks to his, his greatness. But again, like that instinct is for cynics and it's not yeah. necessary anymore. Yeah. Um, now, now that he's not playing and has been memorialized, so to speak, with with the honor of getting into the Hall of Fame with the second highest vote percentage in history. Yeah. Um, I think it's better to frame it that way to, than to note that I like he missed, that. Yeah. Yeah. Unanimous selection by one ballot. Yeah. I think we're, the pitchforks are still out for whoever did that. Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, the dude, the dude was the real deal, reliable and super consistent and classy. I think that's all very real and. You know, he retired with a 310 career batting average, 3,456 hits. He played in 158 postseason games, basically a full season. Uh, and his October numbers are very similar to his regular season numbers, actually even a little better. Consistent greatness on a ton of great Yankees teams. Just an integral part of that late 90s, early 2000s to mid-2010s era of baseball, which you know were my formative years as a baseball fan and then a baseball 
writer. I'm sure kind of the same for you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's a top five, I think probably top four shortstop of all time, like Honus Wagner, Cal Ripken Jr., Alex Rodriguez, though A-Rod did move over to third base eventually. And, and then there's Jeter right there. And, you know, we've seen a huge influx, influx of talent at, at the shortstop position, and maybe some of those guys will top Jeter eventually if they stay healthy. You know, playing 20 years at that position is no small deal. Um, but that, in, that influx of talent is probably due in part to Jeter and the star he was for the sport of baseball. You see Fernando Tatis Jr. making Jeter-like plays. You talk about the jump throw. Yeah. Um, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Andrelton Simmons, Trey Turner, Glaber Torres, Trevor Story. Those guys all emulate him in various ways, and I think they all consider him a role model. So, you know, congrats to Jeets on, on being an all-time great. I mean, you think about, you know, when Jeter and Nomar and A-Rod kind of all at the same time. That was like kind of the beginning of being spoiled by like just these freaks at, yeah. at shortstop. Um, and I think if, if you follow kind of like the baseball Twitter, you know, it's easy to get in that cynical mindset. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, Jeter, you know, he's an amazing player. I don't need to explain that, but I mean... Uh, some of the it can get a little much sometimes on Twitter, uh, and of course there was like some celebration when he didn't get a hundred percent. I I think it's a backlash to, you know the uh, I don't want to name too many writers that like whack so poetically. Oh yeah, it's, it's a little over the top. Yeah, but I mean, there's no doubt the dude is awesome. Uh, was a great player, and just the amount of years and the amount of games and the amount of championships. There's no denying his his Hall of Fameness, just you know, for lack of a better term. So Larry Walker makes it his final year on the ballot. You said it was by six votes, right? Yep, yep. Uh, so that's really awesome uh, to see. And, you know, it's it's been so hard for those players that spend a significant amount of time with the Rockies to get the respect on the ballot. But uh, you see the way that uh, he's really built momentum in the, in the, in the previous years. Uh, leading up to this and then you know some backlog kind of getting off the ballot and kind of guys who weren't obvious no-brainers other than Jeter this year uh, you know really helped his case Um, but you look at the numbers I mean Larry Walker I mean he's just amazing Um, but obviously like Todd Helton's kind of in that same area where you know you spend a lot of time with the Rockies and it seems that voters sort of use that against you. Yeah, definitely. In in some ways, in a lot of ways, Walker's offensive production was elevated by Coors Field, pre-Humidor Coors Field, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he was plenty productive on the road, and he was a good defensive outfielder with a cannon for an arm. And, yeah. you know, from, like, a narrative standpoint, those early Rockies teams are such an interesting part of modern baseball history. Like, the experiment of putting a team in Denver in the mountain time zone with a a stadium a mile above sea level. It got me interested in the sport um, from like almost a video game sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he spent a bit of time with my Cardinals at the end of his career, That's which right. was really cool. Uh, he struck out in his first at bat in St. Louis and got a standing ovation as he walked <laughs> back to the dugout. This, <laughs> I'd this, like to do that. <laughs> yeah, I was actually at that game. Um, it was 2004. I must have been like a junior in high school. Um, he actually pinch hit for Mike Matheny uh, in that at bat. It, and and r- a rookie year, Yadier Molina came on to catch the next inning for Matheny. So huh. just a, f- a full circle of recent Cardinals history with Walker right in, there in the middle of it. And this is funny, looking at, at Walker's baseball reference page. In 1999, he posted a 379 batting average, 
1168 OPS, 37 home runs, and 115 RBIs in just 127 games Man. for the Rockies. And he finished 10th in the National League MVP vote. <laughs> um, so, but he's underappreciated no more. He's a Hall of Famer and yeah. the, sec- the second Canadian to ever make the Hall of Fame after Ferguson Jenkins. Yeah. Um, I, it's something that I think is interesting, and we, you know, we're learning more and more about uh, as far as players who, uh, you know, are, play half their games in, in Coors Field and then go out on the road. Like the ball moves differently outside of Coors Field. You know what I mean? And and that's yep. a whole adjustment. Like you know, we see the home road splits with some of these guys, and you're like, oh, you know, they're just a Coors Field creation. Like I don't really think that. I think it just it messes with your head to go on on a road trip after spending you know, a week at Coors Field and you see the ball move one way and then all of a sudden it's totally different. Um, so I think yeah, there's, yeah. I think Eno Saris had some really good research on that when he, when he wrote for fan graphs about the way that playing at Coors Field affects your stats on the road. Right. Like, like you're talking about just, I mean, breaking balls are different. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it, so you kind of got to, when you look at those road splits, you got to think about that too. Totally. So, uh, and, other... and, and Walker wore a SpongeBob button down. I was, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. He, he didn't wear it to the press conference, unfortunately, the next day. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that, that's history right there. That um, is. So th- going down the rest of the ballot we'll, real quickly here, Kurt Schilling got 70%. So he's, he's pretty close and, and, you know, we really could see him get to, to 75 next year. I mean, it, his, uh, you know, it's complicated with him now, I'd say, uh, yeah. just with all the, you know, the outside stuff, uh, you know, aside from baseball. Uh, but on the merits, you know, deserves it as a player. Uh, and we'll yeah, just, we'll... there, there are worse people than Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. Not that that justifies yeah. his Twitter actions, but right. I don't know. The numbers are there. Yeah, he'll get it. I think he'll get in next year. Yeah, I think he'll get in. Um, Clemens and Bonds, you know, eighth year on the ballot. Schilling as well, eighth year on the ballot. Uh, they're right around the same number, all as always, Clemens and Bonds, right around 60%. They're always lumped together. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there, but obviously they are running out of time. Omar Vizquel uh, got 52.6%. Uh, and Scott Rowland building some momentum, which is really cool to see. He's at 35.3%. In his third year on the ballot, Vizquel also his third year on the ballot, you know, I could see those guys also building some momentum and, and eventually getting there, probably for sure with Vizquel, but, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I, th- I think Roland is going to get a big push. Yeah. Um, now that uh, the, uh, the path is kind of cleared and no one coming on the ballot next year, I, I think, is is a like lock for the Hall of Fame. It's not like a, there's, there's no Jeter. Right. Um, so pe- people are going to start digging into Roland, especially as compared to Vizquel and you know, Roland's just a, a better player than Omar Vizquel yeah. was. I, I have mad respect for Omar Vizquel, but I, I mean, this, the offense is not really there. I was actually um, looking at, you can go on baseball reference and look at uh, Jay Jaffe's Jaws comparison for the different positions. Mm-hmm. And Scott Roland is just surrounded by Hall of Famers and Adrian Beltre, who was going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I, For some reason, it does seem over the years that voters have been really picky about putting third baseman in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but Scott Rowland, I think certainly deserving. Um, and I think, well, I, I think you're right. I think we'll see his voting rise for sure. Uh, Vizquel gets there a lot on the, I think the defensive reputation, of course. Uh, and 
sometimes like I, I have a different way of thinking about it even with like mvp balloting it's so easy to like just look at wins above replacement now but that's yeah. kind of boring to me you know yeah like i want to see the other stuff i want to see like you know accomplishments in the postseason defense matters a lot to me that's why i'd like to see andrew jones move up some more uh mm-hmm. in the balloting for instance but you know there's also like the intangibles leadership all those kind of things i think they should all be important factors uh, just because the, it's when it just comes down to wins above replacement, like that takes a lot out of it to me, and it kind of makes the whole process a little boring. So um, it's a nice guide to go by, like the Jaws kind of stuff. But ultimately, I'm not going to be surprised if Vizquel makes it. I don't know if he'd be on my ballot necessarily, but um, you know, I can understand people that are prioritizing that. And you know it's cool to have players that do different things. And yeah. you, you, I think you tweeted earlier today about Bobby Abreu. Oh yeah, um, yeah, three ninety five career on base percentage over ten thousand plate appearances, four hundred stolen bases. Like, yeah, I mean he wasn't like always a great power hitter, but he was pretty consistent from a home run standpoint too, and had a ton of hundred RBI seasons. You know, I um, feel like if Abreu was around right now, he'd be appreciated a lot more. Um, yeah you know, the on-base ability and all that kind of stuff. And I feel he's the kind of player, and this was his first year on the ballot, gets over 5%, so he'll stay on the ballot. Um, you know, as some of these younger voters get added to the role uh, and time moves on here, I think he's going to get more careful consideration. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's another one of those guys that I think is going to push his way up the ballot as we move along here. So um, pretty cool to see that. Abreu, I definitely think, is, a, is an underappreciated player. Uh, but nice to see him at least get his due and have more consideration on the ballot. Yep. Um, and also, <laughs> it was fun to see some of the players that got like one vote. <laughs> JJ Putz? <laughs> yeah, Brad Penny. I mean, this is, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, Josh Beckett didn't get a vote, but JJ Putz and uh, and Brad Penny did. Cliff Lee got two votes, which is sad to me. Um, yeah. mostly just because of the way his career ended. It was just sort of like over so fast. Yeah. And I'd say for like five years, maybe like, um, try. I think it was like 2008 through 2012. He was like the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, he had a great peak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, I like to compare baseball to football sometimes. It's like you can have a five-year peak, an amazing five-year peak in baseball and you're not a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. If you have an amazing five-year peak in football, and obviously the the average career lengths are a lot different because of, you know, everything, injuries and rosters and, and money and, and salary caps. But, um, you know, I mean, just yeah, having, having five elite years in baseball doesn't necessarily get you in, at least not in the modern era. I mean, Johan Santana's already off the ballot, but, I mean, he had a really good almost like a whole decade, uh, yeah. basically, that he was – one of the best pitchers in the game, you know, top 10, top five, some years. Um, and he fell off the ballot really fast. And and the comparison some people have made, obviously, Johan wasn't as good as like a Sandy Koufax, but like, you know, that short peak, short career injuries ended his career. Like there's at least somewhat of a comparison there. And I was really sad to see him not get more consideration. Maybe down the line, he will, you know, as we, we go over time here and really dig into his case. Uh, but I think Johan is someone who um, I'm sad is not getting, you know, at least sticking on the ballot and we can take a deeper look at his, his numbers. So, um, but overall, you know, I was psyched to see Larry Walker 
get in. We all knew Jeter was getting in. It was just a matter of if it would be unanimous or not. But uh, nice to see Walker make it in his last year for sure. Yep. Those guys go in uh, in July with Marvin Miller and uh, Ted Simmons, yeah. who, who were the modern era baseball committee selections. That's right. So a good class there. More of the sign-stealing uh, fallout, of course, Carlos Beltran and the Mets parted ways uh, last week. So uh, the Mets made it official Thursday uh, that they're hiring Luis Rojas to be uh, their new manager. Rojas was the quality control coach for the Mets last season, but he spent 13 years in the organization, really worked his way up from the bottom, uh, but he's managed throughout the organization, only 38 years old. Um, Rocco Baldelli of the Twins is the only uh, manager who's younger in MLB. Uh, some background on Rojas, he's actually the son of Felipe Alou, so uh, just the family name is actually Rojas, but uh, son of Felipe Alou, half-brother of Moises Alou. Uh, players speak glowingly about him, and I think an interesting thing about him is he's managed a lot of the Mets' young core players while working his way up through the minors. So, you know, really positive words from uh, Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil, for instance. He's also managed Michael Conforto. There's a, a long line of players that uh, have come up through the minors that uh, have had interactions with him, and oh, it's overwhelmingly positive so far. Um, there's, you know, there is a narrative in the media in New York right now that like, you know, if he's so great, why did they hire Beltran over Rojas? And, you know, I think that's fair. Um, but I, in a way, you know, Beltran's never managed anywhere, you know, and Rojas at least has that managerial, managerial experience in the minors. And that's kind of the old fashioned way that we saw these managers, uh, come up. They'd, They'd work their way through the minors, get experience down there, and then get an opportunity at the major league level. I mean, you have to get your first shot somewhere, and he's someone who certainly seems deserving. So, you know, I, I'm all about it right now, and, you know, we'll just see where it goes from here. But I think it was a really solid choice. Yeah, I mean, he seems super qualified for being a 38-year-old guy, Yeah, um, having made his way through the system. So the Mets are set. Uh, the Astros are, are conducting a lot of interviews. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bannister, I believe, interviewed or will interview at some point this week. And then they've got Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker, John Gibbons, uh, Cubs third base coach Will Venable, and Eduardo Perez um, yeah. are also on their list. So uh, kind of a, a range of different candidates there. That might take a little while to sort out. I would I would guess by the end of next week they'll have someone in place. And then it's kind of quiet uh, on the Red Sox front. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we've heard that many names connected to that job. Uh, rumor is they're going to go internal. Uh, so maybe something like what the Mets did, uh, call up someone who's been in the system for a while. And I don't know. I, I think with these teams, a, a shorter term contract, like Rojas got two years. Yes. Uh, man managers usually get at least three. Um, that's probably the way to go, I think, when you're kind of rushing to put someone in place. But obviously, the Mets are familiar with Rojas, so it's you know it's all case by case. Um, I think but, the the interesting yeah. thing about the Mets is uh, you know they're going to switch ownership to Steve Cohen. Um, it's kind of unclear on the details of it, but you know when Cohen comes in, I'm sure depending on where they are, sort of uh, uh, win wise, success wise. You know, there could be a new GM, you know, and then yeah. things will change from there. So, you know, I think the future is totally up in the air uh, as far as that's concerned. So, you know, two years, you know, I think it makes sense. Uh, but, you know, yeah. maybe you ha maybe you have to give a manager a two year deal because you don't want him to be like a lame duck guy because totally. then, 
you know, if the players all of a sudden have a problem with them, like they can just kind of mutiny. Right. Um, yeah. But I think a team like the Astros, they they need someone just to add some stability. Um, and, you know, that could be a Jeff Bannister. But to me, I think I really want to see Dusty Baker get another chance um, and put in a position with a really good team, which the Astros still are. At least we think so. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, I think, yeah. They need someone who's like a good communicator because yeah. every time they go on the road this year, I mean, they're just going to get peppered with questions. That's and a really good point. That's a really if you're good point. A, if you're like a smart, calm, relaxed communicator, you can deal with it. Yeah. And sounds that like screams dusty. dust. <laughs> I know. It yeah. sounds like Buck Showalter in a way, too. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure you saw over the weekend, uh, I think it was like an Astros, like, was it like a fan fest event or like a, a charity dinner or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was at their fan fest. Fan fest. Okay. And there was Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, you know, they were asked a bunch of questions, uh, obviously about the fallout of this situation. And they, they kind of didn't say anything really that interesting at all. And there was no like apology. It was just kind of like, okay. You know, MLB released the report and that was, you know, that was what happened. And, you know, we'll talk about it later. Like it, there was really no remorse or anything like that. And obviously they're going to have to go back to the drawing board on this one <laughs> and come back with uh, some better replies because these questions are not going to stop. Right. And I kind of got the vibe that like they were not trained on how to answer these questions, which could be the case because they yeah. don't have a GM right now. Um, that other, what Brandon Taubman is his name. He right. got fired in October. Right. They don't have a, a manager. So they're, they're kind of like rudderless. To, yeah. Rudder, rudderless is a perfect word for it. Right. Um, yeah. And it's not going to get any easier. I mean, even spring training, this is, this is not going away. This is a big deal. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, we'll move on to, uh, some signings here. One of the last remaining big time free agents found a new home this week as Marcelo Zuna officially signed a one-year $18 million contract with the Braves on Tuesday night. There's no option or anything, so it's just a deal for 2020. And then Ozuna will likely hit the free agent market again next winter. Uh, He apparently had some multi-year offers on the table, but none that came with an $18 million annual value, which, by the way, is just $200,000 more than the one-year $17.8 million qualifying Mm. offer that he rejected from the Cardinals back in November. Um, I want to talk about the Cardinals in a moment, but um, just to talk about Ozuna for a bit, he's expected to serve as the Braves' primary cleanup hitter, so essentially filling the hole left by Josh Donaldson, who signed a a four-year, $92 million deal last week with the Twins. Uh, Donaldson was on a one-year, $23 million deal with Atlanta last season, so similar situation to Ozuna in in some ways, and Ozuna will hope to capitalize next offseason uh, like Donaldson did this offseason. I think that the fit with Ozuna and the Braves should be pretty great, or at least has the potential to be great from a fantasy perspective. Uh, he gets at, out of St. Louis, one of the more pitcher-friendly home environments in baseball, and moves to, uh, what's it called, Truist Park now oh in Atlanta? Yes. I think. <laughs> did that take effect? Yeah. All right. <laughs> That'll take some getting used to. It's not the best name. doesn't really roll off the tongue. Uh, but uh, it is much more hitter-friendly than Bush Stadium, uh, and and very power-friendly for pole hitters especially, uh, which is what Ozuna has been lately. Um, he also gets to bat behind Ronald Acuna and, and Ozzie Albies and Freddie Freeman, which is a whole lot better at this point than Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler and even Paul Goldschmidt. 
Um, Ozuna dealt with a shoulder injury for much of his two seasons in St. Louis, uh, averaged a 779 OPS, 26 home runs, and 88 RBIs per year between 2018 and the 2019 season. Uh, but he's getting further and further away from that shoulder injury. I think he looked pretty healthy even with his throws from the outfield toward the end of last season. Has a better lineup now. And again, a, 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 very, a much more favorable ballpark for offensive production. I think the arrow is really pointing up for him. This will be his age 29 season. I, I think he could do well for himself uh, if he has a big year and then hits the open market again yeah. next winter. Um, yeah, now back to the Cardinals. Um, they'll get a draft pick with Ozuna rejecting the qualifying offer and then signing with another club, um, which is nice. But it's a bit confusing, I think, that they wouldn't try to to match or top the Braves' offer considering what their offensive outlook is right now. Um, it is only late January, but again, the remaining free agents on the border, you know, Nick Castellanos and Yasiel Puig, who they haven't really been tied to, um, they ranked 21st in combined team OPS last year and 24th in home runs, and that was with Ozuna as part of the roster hitting cleanup. So, I mean, the only significant signing for St. Louis this winter has been Kwang Young Kim, uh, pitcher from South Korea. Uh, there's a clear need for legitimate bat, and I, I think a Nolan Arenado trade is kind of a pipe dream, hmm. um, even though he's having some quarrels with the Rockies' front office at the moment. Um, I don't know. My rant is over, I guess. It's just it's frustrating as a Cardinals fan. I mean, their payroll has a lot of dead money, and I guess they're just going to wait for some of those bad contracts to die out and, and hope for the best this year. Um, maybe they'll wind up doing something, but it's it's like really hard to envision what that could be. Um, I don't. I, don't I, I wouldn't mind seeing Puig if he's going to take like a one-year, six million dollar deal. Um, hope to catch lightning in a bottle there, but yeah, I mean, otherwise they'll have to pull off a trade, and I just. I don't know. I don't know if they have the prospects. They have three top 100 prospects, but I don't think they're they're the kind of guys you'd want to give up for for a, a year of Mookie Betts or two years of Nolan Arenado. Puig and St. Louis. That would be that'd be pretty fun. Bring it on, man. <laughs> I could see I could see it coming together because you think about teams that have a clear outfield need at this point. I mean, the Indians stand yeah. out to me, uh, and of course they they got to see him a bit last year. Um, and, and at this point, the Cardinals, they need something. Um, yes. and you said Arenado might be a pipe dream, but he's still prominent in, in rumors and speculation, uh, this week, uh, Rockies general manager, Jeff Breidish said on Monday that the team, uh, generally wasn't happy. I, I mean, he implied this, that they weren't happy with the offers they've found and were prepared to move into the season with Arenado on their roster, um, and then Arenado responded to the to the Denver Post by saying that he felt a lot of disrespect from the Rockies front office. Uh, this is what he said here. You ask what I thought of Jeff's quotes, and I say, I don't care what people say around there. There is a lot of disrespect. <laughs> it was unclear exactly what he was angling at in those comments, but uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN later reported that Arenado's frustration uh, has been rooted in the team's inaction. Uh, this offseason. They haven't signed a free agent to a major league contract, which isn't the most encouraging news for a team that lost 91 games last year. The Rockies have been burned in free agency in recent seasons, so you know maybe there's some hesitancy uh, based off that. A lot of that money was spent in the bullpen, uh, but last offseason, you look at Daniel Murphy didn't work out as they were, they were hoping for um so you know not a great experience recently uh in free agent ian desmond is another recent example as well um but for his part arenado released a statement in the denver post on wednesday night got to cool off a little bit 
basically said there's a lot going on that nobody knows about, and he's been talking with the Rockies this offseason about a bunch of things that he wants to remain private, and he doesn't plan to comment on the situation any further, and now he's just focused on getting ready for the season. Uh, Still, there's no doubt there's some drama here, uh, and we can't rule out the possibility of further trade talks. There's been some comparisons in the media to the end of the Giancarlo Stanton Marlins situation. I don't know if it's quite that extreme, um, but as we get into spring training, I guess we'll really see here. Uh, Who knows? Maybe something could happen before then. Arenado, of course, just signed an eight-year, $260 million extension with the Rockies last February, so the ink is just barely dry here, basically. Uh, however, it's worth notice, noting that he has an opt-out after the 2021 season. I think that's made things a little bit tricky on the trade front. Um, just that this could break either way, depending on Arenado's happiness. Uh, Arenado's contract also includes a no-trade clause, full no-trade clause. So uh, an awkward situation all around. Obviously, Arenado could dictate where he wants to go, uh, which is well within his rights. Um, and I think you know the Cardinals stand out as a, as a clear suitor here. Uh, The Braves were also mentioned. I don't know if that's on the table anymore because of the Ozuna signing, but um, this is Nolan Arenado, though. You know what I mean? I feel like any team should be able to make room for him. So, you know, this could be wide open depending on how things play out here and if the relationship is really not salvageable between uh, Arenado and the Rockies. And, you know, I guess going into, you know, what is it, right around Valentine's Day, teams report to spring training, um, you know, I think, I think this situation definitely warrants watching. I, uh, while you were talking, I tweeted that the Cardinals should sign Yasiel Puig. Um, so I kind of <laughs> zoned out cause I have a lot of, you know, best fans in baseball who follow me and mm-hmm. I like to watch the world burn. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the reaction of that's going to be, but I think it would I make know. a lot of sense. All right. I'll, uh, I'll focus from now. <laughs> um, uh, Mitch Haniger, uh, we don't often get injury news in baseball at this time of year unless it's like a rehab update or off-season conditioning, best shape of, of his life sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, Mariners GM Jerry Depoto announced Thursday that Haniger suffered a setback on Monday and will, requ- will require core surgery. Um, you might remember that Haniger went down with a, uh, a ruptured groin, we'll call it, mm. uh, in, in June of 2019. And this issue is apparently related to that one. Uh, it all sounds really painful. Yeah, um, it sucks. Yeah. Haniger already had one surgery in June and, and now needs another. Uh, the rehab process is expected to take at least six to eight weeks. So he will likely miss most of, if not all, of spring training and would appear doubtful for the beginning of the 2020 regular season. Um, he was limited to 63 games last year, but was, you know, pretty productive when healthy as he has been throughout his injury riddled career, 15 homers, 32 RBIs, four stolen bases, 46 runs scored again, in just 63 games played. Um, he has a lifetime OPS of 827. His OPS park adjusted OPS plus is 125. Um, and I was thinking he'd be a good fantasy sleeper in drafts this spring coming, coming off an injury shortened campaign on what will be an overlooked Mariners team I'm overlooked for a good reason uh, but he would have been the guy to draft I think from that lineup um, maybe he can make a swift and full recovery and, and join Seattle sometime in April and have a have a pretty good season but you know there's obviously far less draft day appeal to Hanniger 
Uh, Depoto mentioned Braden Bishop and Jake Fraley probably getting more opportunities in light of this news. Neither of those guys carry meaningful fantasy upside. Decent upper minor league numbers, but uh, not the kind of stuff that you would consider on draft day in, a, in a, any kind of standard league. Uh, it's just bad news for Hanniger, I think, is what this boils down to. So the thing about Hanniger is, like, let's say he falls to like the later rounds and drafts. I mean, I like utilizing a DL spot like in a draft, you know what I mean? I can immediately slide him into uh, an IL spot and then pick up somebody off waivers, you know what I mean? And if Hanniger's is going to be back by the end of April, like that's a nice little player to have stashed away just from the beginning of the season. So I still think there could be some, you know, late round uh, mixed league appeal for, for Hanniger. Um, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really hurt, but it also gives you that flexibility after a draft to immediately jump to the waiver wire and like pick up somebody that might be interesting. So, yeah. And I also think he might go undrafted in like three outfielder leagues. And if he's, if he's like, if the reports are good on him, you know, come around mid March or you've already drafted and he's sitting on the waiver wire there. Yeah. Definitely a guy worth stashing. Um, he, he's not like. I mean, he has some power and some speed. He's going to be in a really bad lineup, um, but he can do some damage on his own. I mean, he's he's been productive again when healthy. Like I said, 15 homers in 63 games, uh, playing in a very pitcher friendly park. He's a, he's a really good player. So sad update here on Dustin Pedroia, who really you know expectations were non-existent at this point anyway. Uh, Pedroia has appeared in just nine games combined over the past two seasons. Due to continued knee issues, Pedroia had a joint preservation procedure on his left knee last August and appeared to be progressing well. All the offseason updates were trending positive, but first reported by Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe and then confirmed by the team, Pedroia suffered what is being termed as a significant setback with his left knee. As of now, his status for spring training is uncertain and just the future in general. Pedroia is said to be considering his options in conversations with his family and the team. And that sort of talk really makes it sound like the end of the line for him, which is obviously a real shame. Yeah. Uh, now, Pedroia is 36 years old. He's owed $13 million in 2020 uh, and $12 million in 2021. Uh, you know, four procedures on his knee since the end of 2016. Uh, we saw this with David Wright with the Mets. It's the, really the closest parallel. You know, people, especially on Twitter, just being like, well, retire already. You know what I mean? But, you know, these are professional athletes with a lot of pride and determination. That's the reason they got where they are. Um, and you can understand why he's kept trying and why he probably still wants to try uh, and go out on his own terms. Um, still, you can envision this working out as probably some sort of settlement between the two sides and they can move forward without him being on the 40-man roster. Probably something like that, uh, following the, sort of the same way that Prince Fielder and the Rangers work things out, David Wright and the Mets. Um, and you know it's interesting? Andrew Simon of MLB.com put out a tweet earlier really showing that uh, the similarities between Pedroia and Wright, and it's really interesting. Each played 14 seasons, uh, at least assuming Pedroia will have to retire or whatever the case may be. Uh, similar amount of plate appearances, nearly the same in terms of wins above replacement. Really remarkable how close it is. Probably not Hall of Fame players, Wright or Pedroia, but uh, you know, tremendous talents nonetheless. And they might have gotten there if it wasn't for all these injuries. And they all kind of occurred after their age 33 seasons, which is interesting. Um, anyway, back to the Red Sox in general and the fallout there. This would seemingly put Jose Peraza in position to be the starting second baseman, which... 
I think it's pretty interesting from a fantasy perspective. I know Peraza wasn't great last year with the Reds, but you know there's some sneaky speed there, and you, you know you think yeah. about the lineup and the home ballpark. It could be a nice late round value, like a deeper fantasy league play. Um, as of not right now, Michael Chavis and prospect Bobby Dahlbeck are the favorites for the starting first base gig. I know uh, Chavis got some time in second base last year, but it doesn't seem like that'll be the case. At least unless the Red Sox, you know, sign someone at the last minute to place him first base. So um, Peraza is someone you should keep in mind. Yeah, Peraza's just been like super up and down. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's only 25 years old and there's some power and some speed there. I mean, yeah. 14 homers, 23 steals in 2018. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that could click all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of veterans who are kind of nearing the end, um, it's weird to put the phrase minor league contract and Felix Hernandez in in the same space, but that's exactly what he signed on Monday with the Braves. Uh, It'll pay him $1 million if he's in the majors and less if he's in the minors. Uh, though I don't know if he doesn't make the opening day roster there in Atlanta, it might be a situation where the Braves just cut him loose at the end of spring training or maybe after a handful of weeks at AAA, there's probably an opt-out in there for sometime in April or, or maybe like May 1st. That's kind of common. Um, Hernandez is far from his peak now, entering what will be his 16th major league season. He's still only 33 years old somehow. Crazy. Uh, yeah, but going on the 16th year in the majors. But yeah, he had a 6.40 ERA and 15 starts last year with the Mar- Mariners, battled a shoulder injury, uh, kind of a lingering shoulder injury. Uh, 5.55 ERA in 2018 over a much larger sample size. I believe that was around 157 innings. So he's he's been bad for a while. Um, he'll be competing, I guess, technically for the final spot in the Braves rotation this spring. Uh, there's a lot of options for that spot. Sean Newcomb, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson. I think Newcomb may, might enter camp as, as the favorite for that final spot, but he pitched well as a reliever last year, and the Braves might prefer to keep him in that role, uh, depending on how things go during Grapefruit League play. The, the, they did beef up their bullpen a lot um, this offseason. We could see a revolving door in that that fifth rotation spot for the Braves like we did last year. Um, I think it's safe to say that Mike Soroka, Cole Hamels, Mike Fultonevich, and Max Fried are, are locked into the top four spots. Maybe Maybe Felix gets a shot. Uh, at the outset of the season or at some point in the early part of April or going into May. Um, either way, I think his days of fantasy relevance are are probably in the past. I think it's safe to say that. I'm rooting for King Felix. Uh, I really am. But, you know, these younger names, uh, you know, all of whom you mentioned already, I think from a fantasy perspective, I think you're you're looking forward to seeing what those guys can do. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll obviously see what King Felix looks like in the spring. You know, I was looking at uh, Felix Hernandez's career um, through 2016. He had a 3.16 career ERA, 126 ERA plus. But the last three seasons have really damaged those numbers. Uh, his his career ERA now is 3.42. Remember, three mm-hmm. years ago it was 3.16. Um so that's really taken a hit on, on, you know, someone I think that you could make a strong case for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know. He's going to be a tricky one when it comes down to it. Uh, but certainly we'll be rooting for uh, King Felix. Um, another guy coming back, uh, or at least hopefully, uh, for the Mets, Ioannis Cespedes. 
it's interesting. He's played a grand total of 119 games in the majors since the start of 2017. So, you know, three seasons, uh, he's played 119 games total. Missed all the last season, first rehabbing from dual heel surgery, and then he suffered multiple fractures in his right ankle in an incident with a wild boar on his ranch, and that never <laughs> gets old to say out loud. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but Cespin has actually tweeted out a video this week of some of his recent workouts. He was sprinting, swinging in the cage, catching a fly ball behind his back, all typical off-season activities. But I have to say, looking at the video of him running, he looks a little heftier than I remember. Um, Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess that makes sense, though, you know, given his injuries, probably wasn't able to really do a lot on his feet. Um, But it's certainly something to watch going into spring training, especially coming back from those injuries, you know. How much can he really do on on those you know bad wheels? So jumping over to, to uh, Brody Van Wagenen's comments on Cespedes real quick, he essentially said that Cespedes is ready to go for spring training on the offensive side, but still has work to do on the running side in terms of you know max effort and stuff like that. It's unclear when he'll be ready to go uh, as far as that's concerned. Cespedes, of course, only do uh, only guaranteed six million for the 2020 season right now. That contract was restructured because of that accident on on his ranch uh, this is the final year of his contract that number could increase to 11 million if he makes the opening day roster you know i'm sure the mets would love to trade cespedes if he shows anything in the spring he'd be much better off on an al team where he could slide into a dh spot maybe spend a couple days a week in the outfield uh cespedes has a no trade clause as well full no trade but I'm sure he'd be open to a trade to the AL, especially in his contract year. So uh, another player we're going to have to watch really closely in the spring. It's going to be pretty fascinating to see where he fits. Yeah, even with that restructured deal, he's already made $137.9 million in his career. Man, Um, when when he's right, though, you know, he's just, he can carry a team. He's like really that kind of player. And he's so much fun to watch, too. I mean, I hope he comes back and mashes. I just... Who knows, man? I, my expectations are, are pretty low right now. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was the Starling Marte scenario, uh, trade scenario, which continues to sort of dangle in the background, really with the Mets. Uh, Robert Murray, formerly of The Athletic, reported a few days ago that the Mets and the Pirates recently reopened trade talks. And then I saw something from Hector Gomez of Z101 Sports, uh, reporter in the Dominican Republic, uh, recently wrote that there's a good chance of a trade going down between the two sides and the talks are very advanced. Uh, Marte, in his own comments this winter, seemingly appears excited about the possibility of being traded to the Mets or a contender in general. So uh, we'll that, have to keep that one in mind in the coming days. I know Brandon Nimmo has been mentioned as a possibility in, in a return package for the Pirates, uh, some of the team's remaining top prospects. The Pirates are said to want a young catcher. The Mets have one in Francisco Alvarez, who, you know, if you look at catcher rankings as far as prospects are concerned, he's like a top five catching prospect at this point. Um, I don't know if they've actually talked about him or his name's on the table, but, you know, you can see a a little bit of a match possibly there. Um, I'd certainly like to see the Mets outfield. Like if it was Marte, Conforto, and Nimmo, as opposed to giving Nimmo away, I think it'd be a lot more appealing to me. Um, Marte is due 11.5 million in 2020 then has a club option at 12.5 million. So reasonable contract over the next two years. And I think the pirates, you know, 
they don't really have a lot of desirable pieces right now. So I think this is a trade they really have to get right. Um, yeah. At the same time, I'm not sure if you want to risk, you know, going into the trade deadline with a player like Marte because I think the value is only going to get lower. And who knows, he could, he could get hurt and that's their only chip. You know what I mean? So I really wouldn't be shocked to see something go down in the next few weeks there with Marte. Yeah, he's going to be traded before opening day. Like you said, the Pirates got to get this one right, uh, maximize the possible return. And you know, maybe it won't happen until closer to, to spring training, maybe even like in, inside of spring training. Um, but the Mets make a lot of sense. And once you start hearing about names being exchanged, it usually means the talks are pretty advanced. And Hector Gomez, that Dominican reporter, he's gotten a lot of stuff right. He he's has, gotten a lot of yeah. stuff wrong. Uh, but he, he's pretty he's pretty clued into Dominican players and so I, I believe that report that there's there's something happening there. Um, so wrapping up the show this week uh, with another signing, the Royals re-upped with veteran outfielder Alex Gordon on a one-year, $4 million contract. Uh, so he'll be back for his 14th Major League season in Kansas City, was selected second overall by the Royals back in the 2005 MLB draft out of the University of Nebraska. I guess if your team is not going to be any good, you might as well have some familiar players around to keep fans interested through the yeah. rebuild. Um, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, so <laughs> I don't know. If they win the Super Bowl, that party will last well through the summer anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so, so Gordon will still be there at least to start the season. Of note here is that uh, he waived his 10-5 and no-trade rights as part of the new agreement hmm. with the Royals, so he could be flipped for young talent at some point this summer if, if any team is willing to do it. Um, he remains a, a really strong, well, an above average uh, defender in the outfield or was a really strong defender at one point, but he's 35, turns 36 in a couple of months. Uh, and his OPS over the last four seasons combined is, is 686, hasn't hit 20 home runs since 2013, hasn't stolen more than 15 bases since 2011. Um, so obviously there isn't any fantasy appeal here, but yeah, Gordon back with the Royals. I feel like Gordon, didn't Gordon yeah. have a good April last year and then like really fell off. I, for some reason, yeah. I remember that. Um, yeah, yeah, April last year, he hit 316 with a 396 uh, OBP at five home runs, 21 RBIs. And then it was kind of, it was up and down from there. But like the second half combined, he had three home runs. Um, yeah. It was sort of like Hunter Dozier was taking off at the same time. And like they were both showing like crazy plate discipline and power. Uh, but Gordon fell off and, and Hunter Dozier kept going, basically. Um, Dozier is a guy I, I think I'm going to have my eye on in drafts. And it looks like he might actually play uh, right field this year because they have Michael Franco to play third. Um, so you'll have that position eligibility in the outfield as well as, as third base. So that's kind of cool. Um, yep. But Gordon, yeah, I don't I don't really see a lot there unless you're in an AL only fantasy league. Yeah. So yeah, that that wraps things up here. And like I said, from this point forward, it's all about getting ready for the season. So next week will be a prospects episode with uh, Christopher Crawford. If there's any you know relevant news that goes down between now and then, we'll we'll cover that as well. But then after that, we're gonna go position by position, uh, at least until I guess end of February. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so we'll go yeah. through all the positions, our rankings going into the season, you know, sleepers, busts, all that kind of stuff, prospects to watch as well. Um, so a lot of good stuff coming up. And if you like what you're hearing with this show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. Let us know if you're finding these off-season episodes useful. 
as you begin to think about the 2020 season. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew's at Drew Silve. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.